from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the Good Atheist Podcast. Holy shit, that feels weird to say. My name is Jacob Forte. My name is Tom. Yeah. Just Tom? Just Tom. Okay. Just uh, <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Thank You're you, welcome. Tom, who apparently is only one name. Just Tom. Don't fuck around, buddy. Identify yourself. You can't be on a show being fucking anonymous in my house. In this house. <laughs> in my house. In my house. Well, this is technically your house. This is Tom's house. But we are published under what is technically my house, which is an internet house. It's, it's, okay. Pause for a moment. I want to just let everyone know that my guest host has put his glass of alcohol is teetering dangerously on a fucking Toilet paper roll, and that is just so classic you, man. Can you just not balance it like that First for of five all, seconds? Use your words. This is uh, not just any toilet paper roll. This is a yeah, a ninety percent used toilet paper roll. <laughs> yeah, the it's glass. much thinner than the typical fucking toilet paper roll that you would see. It's First extremely of all, thin. The glass is much wider. He, than it's the toilet it's paper roll. half full, and there's also unstable. Uh, gl- yeah. you know, elements in there, including uh, what is that? Four ice cubes. You always use four ice cubes, you maniac. I usually use three. I mean, what am yeah. I, an animal? But you uh, are an animal with four. Secondly, the the glass. Oh my is, god! Don't even rotate it like that. <laughs> the glass is way up center. Well, you're just not. Yeah. You're not describing. This okay, fine. Absurdity. If you heard a weird crash halfway through the show, because as time goes on and. Uh, his cool glass is literally cond- like condensing and uh, wetting this extremely unstable area, probably only reducing its uh, effectiveness further. So if you hear a crash and be like, you're a fucking idiot. Or maybe that's the last thing you ever heard because maybe our fucking equipment, which is close by, uh, is also next to that. So welcome, Tom. What is your last fucking name, you joker? <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because Tom has actually been on other shows, so you know you could just go do your research and figure out who Tom is. He's out there. He Ayo. will be, by the way, in the credits of my poster that I'm, I'm producing. The title. The title of this poster I'll be credited as. Yeah, tell us, tell us, what is your title? Supreme executive producer. Supreme executive producer. Uh, that's a really fancy title mm-hmm. for um, essentially. What are you exactly doing? I, yeah, I'm the brain trust, and ah, uh, oh, don't tear over again. <laughs> oh my god! I came up with the name of a couple. It's true, items, actually. Tom actually. is quite good at, at at giving names to many things, including the show that eventually we're going to transition away from. Because I'm, I, I apologize for the extremely disjointed uh, beginning intro, everybody. I have an unusual guest, if you will, but he is the. Supreme producer, or whatever uh, is it you call it. The su- Supreme. Sorry. You, I don't even producer? think you know what it is. But Supreme executive producer of a new show that we're going to be working on that's uh, called Holy Shit, I'm an Ape. That is going to be something that I wanted to announce on the show. I mean, I, I know there's not many good atheists left. And as maybe the surprise one, you just suddenly be like, what the fuck is happening in my inbox? What is going on? Who are these people? 
Jacob even has a co-host whose name is mysterious. He just has one name, probably one of the most common names known to man. Tom, like, what the hell? T-O-M or T-H-O-M? Yeah. No one is called T-H-O-M for short. No, that's Call me T-H-O-M. <laughs> Thumb? I, I let them. I let them because Yeah, awesome. I don't think they do. I really don't think they do. Well, anywho... On on the, on this extremely disjointed show, see, normally we have a topic to discuss, but the, today's topic is how um, we're transitioning away from n- new materials, different things. This show is a kind of way to let you guys know of all the different things that are going to be happening as we gloriously move away from talking about atheism and I move away from other things. So, you know, for all you guys out there that are just sort of like, what is Jacob up to? Is he still alive? Well... This show is pretty fucking special because guess what? It's going to be a preview show where you're going to listen to about 45 minutes of the book. Because in a few weeks, on November 23rd, I'm going to have a telethon in which I'm going to try to get about $3,000 more uh, then I need to essentially finish the book by March. That's the That's the kind of situation. So I thought I'd just have a show. And I just dick around for a little while, throw a few jokes, and then I would tell you some really fucking exciting news about what the hell is going on, and you guys could uh, just salivate with the anticipation. And by the time I finish jabbering on, you're going to listen to 40 minutes of the show. Of, uh, not the show, I'm sorry, of the book. The book! The fucking book that I've been busting my ass, the one that I'm trying to extort you guys out of money, you know, for more money. I'm like, uh, hi. I need $3,000 more. Well, when you fucking listen to this beast, this 45-minute beast, you're going to say, uh, I, or is it, yeah, is that what it is? Like the old way of saying yes. I, like A-Y-E? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they might say that. Yeah. I think they would say A. They, they might laugh. They might There's cry. been there's There has been sort of, well, there has actually been some tears shed. Hi. There might have been some tears shed uh, when it came to reading the book. Tears of joy, tears of confusion. Mostly tears of joys, okay. not not tears of confusion. Tears of joys from my from my mom. So for for those of oh. you that have been kind of like paying attention, I put out a thing saying I, I was doing a soft launch for Bible stories, and uh, which basically means that I I released Genesis, which is a, it's a beast. It's a hundred pages of Writing that I'm just pulling like, okay, that's just chapter one, guys. A hundred pages. It's the fucking Bible. Idiot me thought that I could do this in a year. That was dumb. But uh, in the meantime, I think that the material that I've actually been writing is everything I wanted Bible stories to be. I mean, it took a while. I wrote thousands of words of garbage, but by the end of it, I was left with something that I was kind of like, hey, is this a book? It sounds like a book. Tell us one of your least favorite words that you cut out of the book. One of the thousands of words that you cut out. Individual words. There were yeah. two. You know what? Actually, you want to know? Too many ands. And there, there was actually one of the one of my fans actually was who's been following for a long time, who's a professional editor, was taking a look at uh, the, the early manuscript, and he said something that was quite insightful. He's like, sometimes when when you say and, they come always in threes, and blah blah blah, and blah blah blah. And blah, blah, blah. And then when I really started noticing how many times it did that, it was disturbing and I didn't like it. But, yeah. Did you just uh, do a search and replace for commas? Or, uh... 
Oh yeah, because that's the smart way. That's the smart or... way to go about it. You know what? Everyone, anyone in the editing world that's ever done a search and replace <laughs> should die in a fucking fire. You know what? I've seen my my mom has actually read books where it was it was obvious that the last chapter where they had made some kind of weird mistake, they did a replace all, <laughs> slapped together that shit, called it a day, man. The state of publishing, Lazy. the state of publishing in this world, I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories that would be like so unbelievable. Like, you remember that story I told you when I was in Toronto and I was waiting for a fucking bus? And meanwhile, I, I see this unbelievably attractive girl and I decide, hey, well, I'm single again. Why don't I go hit on an attractive girl, right? So like a courageous guy. In the story, she's just a girl. Mm-hmm. You're just a guy. And I'm just girls just guy. Toronto. This is just Toronto, and I'm chilling out on patio day. It's the summertime. Mm. It's nice outside, so this is the summer. So they don't have terraces in Toronto, do they? Not many, but there are patios. few. Yeah, there's one. There, there's one uh, with the Fox and Firkin, I think. I forget where it is. Near the bus station. I always go there because you know what? The bus from Montreal or Toronto to Montreal is fucking boring as shit. So normally I go to a bar that is like one block away. And I'll Frequented drink like two or three itinerants and uh, well, vagabonds. No, actually, well, regulars and, and hot girls. Tell us about this girl. Yeah, so she 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 had this. I, I love girls that wear these wonderful summer dresses. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm an old school guy, but I'm like, there's something about the summer dress, man. It's just great. And she pulled it off fantastic. I mean, like it had the whole floral thing, and uh, she had like high heels on, and her hair was white was kind of platinum blonde white and it was very short but arranged elegantly and she had sort of like a very porcelain um, mm. skin so the, the, like uh, I'm picturing Betty White or Estelle Be- Getty what <laughs> yeah no she was about 20 what is oh, well, why okay. are you picturing this the roaring so, 20s I'm with you so she uh, an attractive girl so I decided hey I'm going to go talk to her and I find finally an excuse. She's on her computer and uh, she's trying to connect to the Wi-Fi, which I'd been as well. So suddenly I said, "Oh, are you having some trouble?" And I, you know, go, go over and I look at the computer. And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no signal strength there. Oh well. Hey, are you um, are you waiting for anyone? Great opener, right? Oh no. How's do you mind Wi-Fi? if I do you mind if I join you? So, you know, just sort of like we sit down, we talk, and then all of a sudden we get to the point of the conversation which says, well, what do you do? And she says, I'm in the underground economy. Mm. Now, That's interesting. I, I'm, I, I'm a very naive man, so I don't know what the fuck that means. Is that Bitcoin? Is she into- Truthfully, Truthfully, I was kind of hoping she was a drug dealer because at the time I'm like, I would love to buy some weed off you or something. Like, you know what I mean? Why like, else just would you go to a bar near the bus station? I, really? I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm never really that lucky, and <laughs> I never actually, I, I don't buy street weed because I'm not that brave. But uh, you know, a hot girl selling me weed would have been the best story, right? Would have yeah, been pretty yeah, fucking yeah. awesome. But no, I'm an innocent idiot, and it's not about that at all. And instead. What it is about is that she is a prostitute. hey And I just don't, I, I really don't understand. So, you know, I'm not judgmental. I'm like, oh, you sell your body for money? Well, I most people sell their bodies for money in different ways, just not sexually. So we get to talking, and she explains to me that she's actually, she goes to school, and she uses it to study 
all kinds of things. She was studying philosophy and whatever. And we had some interesting conversations. I was very surprised. It was a great time, actually. And, um, but the thing that the huge revelation, because most of her clients were extremely wealthy people, and, and you could see that for her, part of studying philosophy was just, you know, that's part of the biz, too. You got to be educated. Oh, you're going to take a wealthy guy out and go on a date well eventually you're gonna to have to talk about some shit so maybe the subject might turn to philosophy and play conversation in ancient greece in ancient greece actually prostitutes were some of the most educated uh you know women at the time because men wanted to have conversations that were educational and they could stimulating. hold an amazing 15 minute conversation <laughs> an amazing well, actually, many hours worth of conversations, it turns out, because that's how long we talked for. But in the process of talking, we also I also came to uh, discover that she had been working also briefly for the publishing industry, in which many young women who have to work as interns turned mm-hmm. uh, often to prostitution in order to be able to actually uh, get by. But it turns out that the prostitution part is so lucrative that they don't really want to go into publishing even if they have the chance because you just can't make that kind of money uh, legitimately. So was she a paid intern or an unpaid intern? Because to me, that makes a difference somehow. Uh, well, paid interns is basically a Did misnomer. Did she give her time for free during the day and then got paid at night kind of thing? No, no. Her clients were very regulated six dudes or whatever that basically a kind of rotation. It would be like having six boyfriends that pay you. You can see how someone who kind of arranges themselves with that type of deal is not too miserable. So I'm assuming that wasn't why she got into this. Job. No, well, like I said before, she had uh, she had been an intern, and uh, just basically, uh, you know, it's still very much a male dominated world. Picked up the, clients, the, or she was offered this gig and decided. She's a, well, to give well it as a an try. attractive woman, uh, let's just say that those kinds of offers are probably. Uh, made much more often than you would possibly imagine, sir. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. are you a hot woman? Do you know what it's like being a hot woman? I do, but I'm not one. Can't really talk about it, actually. No, I don't. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty fucked up, let me just tell you. So the reality of the situation is the Hmm. publishing world is a little messed up. Hey, and you know what? Like, I don't want any part of it anyways, because if you produce work and somebody else owns it, I think that's wrong. In a way, they own you like a prostitute. So if a publishing house offers you 20000 or $30,000 and said, say, write a book, and if you sell more than a, a really difficult amount to sell, we'll continue to pay you. Does that sound like a good deal to you? Mm. See, that might sound like a good deal because there's really no alternative. Because for the most part, I mean, like, what is the alternative? I'm going to fucking sell write a body. I, yeah, I'm going to write a book, and then I'm going to just print it on copy paper. And I'm going to go to the airport, and I'm going to give copies to everybody, and they're going to think it's the best book ever. Subway book. Yeah. Free subway book. Have <laughs> <laughs> you ever been handed one of those uh, manifestos no, on I the have. subway? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, you know the manifesto I walked into your house with today was handed to me in New York by mm. uh, evangelicals over there that take that shit seriously. They they have pamphlets wow. and everything. And, organized. Uh, they have had, money, finances, that, for that, sure. That, Booklet had some really nice production value. It wasn't bad for a booklet. No hard stock. It was beautiful. I would love if you know if if it was cheap to make those kinds of booklets. I would write micro books for all you know on those kinds of shit, shit all the time. Maybe put little comics in there and shit like that <laughs> too. You know, just make it funny. Sure, Topical. man. 
If it's not that, then I feel like I should fucking just lay down and die. But, okay. So, we're going on a tangent, which I don't care, because honestly, you know, how many good atheist shows are there left? I'm tantalizing everyone with literally the free Genesis, uh, you know, 45 minutes of that shit. So, I could just fucking dick you around for as long as I want, bitches. We'll fix it in post. We won't. I could, but that we sounds won't. like a lot of work. And most of the time, you know what? Here's Here's the thing. A couple of shows ago, I just put up a show. I, you know, I, I thought, hey, it's, yeah, pretty funny. Mm. One guy com- comments is like, funniest part of the show is when you sneeze, man. Which I'd forgotten <laughs> to edit out, by the way. And he's like, that was funny. That was really and funny. you were like, seriously, dude? You know, I try to be funny, but the sneeze did it. <laughs> All right, whatever. It means you're human. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, for the most part, human that's sneeze. kind of like you know, maybe over editing is a bad is a bad choice. Maybe that's why it's sort of like. You know, I put nothing but negative reviews on the Essentials DVD. I'm like, I edited too much. <laughs> Two thumbs down. One star. <laughs> Two thumbs down. <laughs> I, I think, though... I really hate something <laughs> to give two thumbs down. I think, though, that the Essentials is something you should own, but it's two thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> you should own it, but whatever you do, don't crack it open. Nah, don't listen to it. I mean, you already heard it, right? It's just that my attempt to basically George Lucas my own work. Do you really want to hear it? I mean... Two thumbs down. (laughs) Or maybe that's just the whole show in general. Just done with that shit. (laughs) Done with that shit. What's cool is that the the show that we're working on, actually, Holy Shit, I'm an Ape, is a a completely different, totally organized, not by the seat of your pants show. So anyone who enjoys this, we basically tell them to eat a dick. (laughs) Is that what they would say? (laughs) Hey, you like this kind of like off-the-cuff shit? Just one. Eat a dick. That's not the new show. We're not going to be doing that. Nope. Nope. It doesn't sell. No, the new show's like for money. Yeah. Yeah. Clean up your act. Clean it up. I can't do this kind of fucking yappity yab shit. I mean, no. is it even recording? It doesn't look like it is. It doesn't even move. Zoom in on that shit. Right, we'll fix it in post. Fix it in post. <laughs> if it's not recording, don't worry. We have so much material to draw on. We'll I actually have to get ready because here's words. the thing, ladies and gentlemen. The thing is, we're doing a telethon, 12 hours of this yappity yap. 12 hours that i got to fucking fill because I need $3,000 from you guys. And I'm going to fucking do my little song and dance for 12 hours to prove to you that it's worth it. And this won't be like a boring filibuster-style telethon. There, no. There are things happening Act. during these 12 hours. And challenges. There are guests. There are guests. There are events and activities. I know. Challenges. There will be a karaoke challenge. Now, here's the thing. I've been been doing some more because there's a possibility that we may not be able to play any music in the karaoke challenge Mm. uh, or may may get shut down. I don't think so, but if that is the case, it will still be done, but a cappella style, which will be even more painful. Can we record our own parody a cappella version of a song? Play it back and then karaoke sing to it. Does that make sense? Yes, I, th- I believe can so. Can you do that? Yeah, I, th- I think if it's your own cover version, that it's, sounds it's, horrible. It's fun. I think we can get. I think that's what we might have to do. The restrictions. That so way. I, I was thinking about doing a karaoke challenge live, but I don't think that we're going to be able to do that with the challenge of it. So instead, I might actually put a thing out there of accepting five or six songs that fans can request, and we will karaoke that shit at live. Uh, so, I mean, that's part of the thing. Royalty-free songs like Merry Christmas and... <laughs> 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 uh, 
Not happy birthday because that is not nope. royalty free, Bam uh, Shields. Nope, nope. Not royalty free. One. Not royalty free. Um, yes. Yeah, so there, November twenty third. Uh, I'd love to tell you a time. I haven't actually picked the time. It is twelve hours though. So what is the prime time for the internet? The day? prime time for the internet is apparently six to nine p.m. Eastern time. Uh, this is for a combination of reasons. Number one, the majority of Internet users are not white, but Asians. They represent about 44% of the Internet. And that's kind of like their afternoon, I don't want to work, I'm just fucking logging on and shit, I guess. And Wait for us, is we go to we are finished from work and Do we go home. 7 to 9 p.m. or a.m. Eastern? P.m. Oh, that's perfect. That's uh, prime time, North America. That's Eastern prime, t- but it's also prime time for the internet as well. Well, it's it's early morning. I mean, twelve hours, buddy. Let's well, for some parts of let's Asia, take but, Japan, for instance, yeah. twelve hours. Yeah, but you got yeah, but they're waking up and they're still like, what, what do you do when you wake up? I look on the internet to see if there's any <laughs> right. telethons. Right. And exactly. if there are, I call in sick for work. But I'm I'm saying, but this is going to be on a Saturday. So if you're, unless you're you know you're not working on a Saturday, so for you, you might wake up Sunday. And wake up to the telethon during its prime time awesome. if you're in Asia. Yes, yes. Now, but if you're in sort of North America, which is 80% of our audience, you're fucking going to prime time, which we're going to do all the things, which includes Tom's uh, incredible juggling abilities, which we will be filming live, and which he will force me to participate, by the way. We're going to see uh, how quickly you can pick up... Uh... Yeah, we're, the challenge will be, can I juggle four balls and other tricks that Tom is going to challenge me with? And trust me when I say this man is not very kind to me. So if all these tricks are probably things that we have not tried before. So it's going to be a bit of a gauntlet. But, uh, yeah, people like that shit. Oh, put me through a gauntlet. Meanwhile, fund this motherfucker because I don't want to overplay this, um, the, the, what you're about to listen to. Because I did a soft launch because I just wanted to know what people's reaction were going to be to Genesis. And uh, it was... Uh, How do you say off the hook? Yeah. Reaction was... was Okay, so the, there were some people... Like, there was a... Uh, I would, what I would describe the most lukewarm reaction was that it was extremely readable and they liked it. And the other... Extreme version was that by page five or six, they were in stitches and laughing really hard. And you're like, I could just gave it a hundred uh, pages of that away for free. And I could I could give a whole bunch of other fucking sample chapters and be like, there's 20 of these bitches that are fucking slaving over. But uh, it's all good. And when you when you pay attention to the fucking... Telethon, and you see all the other things that I've been working on. What else we have lined up for the telethon? Oh my God, there's just so much. Okay, so first, I'm going to be able to show you this other show, this TV show pilot that I've been working on, mm-hmm. cooking show, name of which Mr. Mr. B has sort of come up with. Yeah, nice on you. You came up with my my fucking cooking show. Nice job. Are we going to tell them what it's called right now? No, let's save it for the telethon. We're saving it. We're, We're saving, saving it. it. We're saving it. It's a really good name, though. It's a good name. It's a good name. So there's the cooking shows. And, and actually, part of the thing we're going to film at the beginning, if if it all goes well, because remember, I mean, we could fail miserably at this, but uh, the whole thing is we're going to do well. If we do well... The one of the one of the things that I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be showing how do you cater a party on a budget. Now, 
Uh, I know that most people always say, oh, I catered a party, and everybody said they really loved the stuff, and they loved the dips and shit like that, but did they, really? did they? Did they really? Let me tell you something. I don't want to sound like an arrogant jackass, but people always go out of their way to be basically talking about this catering shit, and I do it on the cheap, bitches. That's going to be my trick. I'm going to show you that. That's going to be fun. That's just going to be a tiny portion of 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 what I'm going to show you. There's also going to be some great footage that most people have never seen, like the pilot that me and Ryan worked on back, <laughs> I don't know, 2011 or something like that for our what was MMA the pilot. Of that pilot anyway. The because pr- we're fighting, yeah. right? Well, no, we had a contest. The premise of the show was that every show we were going to have a contest and then at the end, like whoever won the contest or whoever lost the contest would have to do something unpleasant. So the first show is that we had to go through a grueling uh, gauntlet of what fighters have to go through in sort of their cross training. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, naturally, we're not I'm, we're not the fittest people, let's just say. Uh, I'm not the world's laziest or uh, most overweight person, but I'm also a smoker, so yeah. Let's just say that sometimes the air, I say you're searching for it. <gasps> And uh, but nevertheless, at the end, you know there was a the, the god like the, the the test exercise at least in the pilot was having to fight a uh, really well known uh, UFC fighter for uh, two minutes. So that and, was the uh, kind of premise. And who won? Oh, I'm not gonna say. You're gonna we'll have to fucking it. tune in, we'll man. You're gonna have Maybe to tune you can in guess at home in this mad live stream <laughs> telethon, man. I well, mean, we got some guests yeah. too, right? We have some guests. We have. Um, at least the people that have uh, confirmed, because you know you never know. Like what, I could put out these names, and somebody could be sick or whatever. But we got uh, Guy Harrison, who's written a number of books that uh, you know you guys have uh, undoubtedly heard of. Fifty things that uh, Christians believe. Um, I think there is one that there's a new one that he's come out with. I, I think which is Think. I think that's the name. Think. Anyways, um, there's also Peter Bogosian, who just came out with a book called. A Manual for Creating Atheist. He was on the show way back, probably one of the most listened to shows. And, you know, since then we've just been talking and he's always wanted to come back on. We have Dan. Um, oh, God, how do I pronounce I always mispronounce it. I want to say um, Finke, but I, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm butchering it. And uh, from, uh, uh, is it Camel with Hammers? And uh, we have Sylvia Brooke, who's uh, done... Hug an Atheist, and we have Ryan, who's going to come on, although he's not going to co-host the entire thing, but he will come on. And we have MC Brooks, who's a uh, rapper. I think he's out of Washington. We're going to have a really fucking hardcore conversation about race relations in America. It's going to be pretty fucking wild. Watch out. Watch out, bitches! And uh, it's... uh, I mean, I'm trying to think about the other guests. Johnny Scaramanga is going to be on. Mm-hmm. Everybody really liked him when he came on. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some people. I feel like a dick. But anyways, the list is growing. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get people to... Um, trying to secure them as much as I can on the live portion. But some of them will have to be pre-recorded. But in general, it would be 12 hours of entertainment. And at the end of it, the hope is to make $3,000. But keep in mind, what does that mean in 12 hours... Uh, we have to make quite a bit per hour. What is? What are we at per hour that we have to make? It's we'll like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, it's like two hundred and fifty bucks or something like per hour. It's a lot. What the fuck is the? 
Is it the three thousand five hundred twelve? We got quality. We got yeah. Well, there's also here's what's going to happen though. If any of you are listening to this and you know you're not going to be able to tune in at the time and you want to support it, well, um, there will be a website. Well, JacobFortan.com will have the uh, stream. You can go on. You'll be able to sort of like do a pre. Um, telethon sort of like donation which we're going to sort of like save up shore up as sort of like that final push so if you want to be mm. the final push at the beginning which I know sounds a little bit counterintuitive in this weird relativistic time frame yeah. you could be the secret weapon so if you're thinking you're just like Jake man uh, I'm passionate about this now but in th- two weeks time who knows what the fuck is going on I want to just put my money down right motherfucking now well you can uh, you'll you'll you can go to jacobfortan.com or even if you're sort of like feeling like I just got to do this now, it's actually jacobfortan at gmail.com on PayPal. If you're fucking feeling like I need to get this telethon, thing is, is that we have I I I I don't want anybody to sort of like blow their load quite yet because we have actually stuff that we're gonna be featuring some shit that I've been working on for the fucking past three weeks. Yeah, this is not one of those. Uh, okay. Oh, we're, we're begging back for and, money uh, <laughs> for the $60 gift level. You get a, a mug. This uh, mug was sponsored by people like you. And uh, now back to It's a Wonderful Life. It's not that kind of telephone, no. right? No. This is the real deal. This is the this this is what we're what we're offering is we're cuz I'm trying to sell more copies of the book obviously. The the ebook and the audiobook because distribution costs to me are obviously a zero, but the thing is, I also wanted to kind of get into the habit of showing you guys what future materials I'm going to be building for this. Because, you know, sure, I mean, the book is something I want to build, you know, make. But there's all kinds of exciting stuff I want to make. I mean, like, I could, I can, if if I was just to tell you all, you would think I'm insane. So we're just not going to go into it. But I'm going to tease you all with these things, including... When you tune into the telethon and you give a certain amount, what you get are, uh, for instance, we're gonna we have this amazing fucking postcard that uh, we're gonna send to you, which is just like the most fucking just perfectly insidious thing that you can send to your relative. Send the controversy. Oh yeah, send yeah, send the motherfucking controversy. Oh, you got a relative who loves the Bible? Well, you're gonna love my motherfucking postcard. Yeah, and it's perfect for sending to a relative. Anyone who has just recently annoyed you with some kind of fucking annoying thing. Because trust me when I say that I want to sell more copies of my book to religious people than to atheists. That's the goal. But no one's going to pre-buy a book they're going to hate, right? No one pre-buys that. So only people who love it, that's you, are going to pre-buy this shit. And that's what I'm trying to convince you with... The enticing content that I've put before you, which is like the next 40 minutes of your entertainment, which is going to be right after I finish monologuing. Which, I don't know, are we done monologuing? Do you think I've t- said enough about this telethon? Because you, you're as a you know, su- supreme executive producer, mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. been told almost all the things that sort of like have been going on in terms of like the special guests that I've included. You've seen the artwork and all this kind of stuff that I've been slaving on. The fucking cool poster by the way, that your name is now on in the credits and shit like that. It better that, be. Yeah, well, you know, it's got, it that, it's got that special title. Right and, on. And uh, just, just a bunch of stuff that I wanted to say. 
I, you know, for me, a song and dance is saying I need three thousand dollars more and putting my hat out there. I know that no one just responds to the hat. You gotta kind of, uh, you know, tie them a little bit. You know what I mean? Like seduce them a little. <laughs> little song, a little dance. Little song, literally, which we're gonna do during the karaoke challenge. A little dance, which you know, if we're desperate, if we haven't quite gotten three grand by eleventh hour, I may have to, uh, you know, do a little dance out of desperation. But who knows? But think of how far the patrons have gotten you. I mean, this is yeah. this is an amazing story in and of itself. It it, it almost sounds kind of fake when you think about it. I mean, like this whole your, your patrons are so generous. They are pretty fucking generous and engaged. I, I, yeah. It's it's phenomenal. I, I, I'm hoping that I'm not overtaxing anyone on this, but I'm I'm sure that everybody has to appreciate once they really listen to it or read it, uh, which will be available in. Um, there's an iBook version of it that you, that uh, there's a link for it uh, in the notes and on the site. There's also a PDF version, a text version. I'm going to work on an on uh, an HTML version that mm-hmm. looks fairly good. Trying to make it just as readable as possible. You got to understand, I'm a pretty much one man army when it comes to this. So apologies if I only have three versions, or actually four, counting the audiobooks. Sorry, the ebook part is surprisingly hard to make an EPUB file. It is. Uh, it is one of the it is one of the major limitations of the publishing world. Something that I aim to rectify in the future, but that's a different conversation altogether. When do we tune in, Jake? We tune in on Saturday, November twenty third, and uh, that's going to be. I'm not sure quite when we start. I'm going to make another probably little announcement on 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 the show, but for sure, if you're going to tune in at any time. It's going to be six to nine Eastern time in this twelve-hour, you know, crazy extravaganza. But that's going to be my sort of like big, you know, I, I'm going to extend beyond that. But that was that's going to be like the big show thing. You're going to be on at that time, there, Mister B. The juggling challenge. We're going to be doing the juggling challenge, and I also want to fit in the um, the song challenge, and I want to get uh, M- MC Brooks on there as well because that's when I want to fucking do the race. Talk in America. I think that that's the perfect fucking time to do when everybody's like nice and drunk on a Saturday. <laughs> Watch out! Watch out! It's going to be really a, a fucking interesting talk. We've been, you know, sort of like going back and forth a little bit, teasing about so, sort of the things. I like, I, I just want to make it as honest as possible. That's the thing. And this telethon, if you want, is a is a teaser for what I want the tour to be because. After I finish all this sort of madness, I'm going to be like the the this podcast is the first 45 minutes of Bible stories, but I'm going to be reading the last half of it live, motherfuckers. Oh boy! So yeah, you're gonna have to tune in for that if you want the second part of it. Say no Sunday live. school reading. This say well, no, literally it is a Sunday school reading, but Sunday school in my house because it will be Sunday for many people, right? Technically around the globe, it'll be Sunday. That's deep. Yeah. You wake up Sunday morning, you're getting a fucking, you know, sermon from uh, Jacob about the Bible. And the truth of the matter is that through my adventure writing this thing, like a person would say, hey, Jacob, how familiar do you feel with the Bible now? Well, I'm like, well, I've rewritten it several times and I feel feel pretty familiar with it. And by the time I'm done, y'all are going to be familiar with it, too. I want everybody to be familiar with it. I hope you guys appreciate the fact that I know it's taken a lot longer than I intended it to, but I got a little carried away as usual with me. You guys know that I got a little perfectionist. I really wanted to make this something that 
was the whole Bible, right? Like that if I skipped a part, it was just because I I it was in, I was incapable of making it interesting. It was just impossible. What was the most surprising thing about the going, Bible? Going through the Bible with a fine tooth comb. The the it, it, you want to know what it is? The one chapter that I always talk about, Ecclesiastes. It was the most surprising fucking thing about the Bible. Ecclesiastes is the surprise in the Bible. It's like that fucking nougat. Where you bite into it and you're like, this is a bunch of shit. And all of a sudden you come to a chapter that says, everything is bullshit. And you're like, I'm sorry, what did you just say, Bible? Mm-hmm. And it says that wisdom is crap. Well, that's weird. And then it's, you know, like, that it doesn't matter how wise you are. It's all for shit. That you could work your whole life and some fucking young punk is going to take everything you worked for and not appreciate it. I mean, this all sounds familiar, right? You're mm-hmm. just like, it is all for fucking bullshit. Except he says, and this one thing, which I guess is a sort of Frere Tuckish-like wisdom, enjoy food, drink, and good times. And you're just like, shit, that's a good, that's, yep, that's pretty much it. Ecclesiastes, and eliminate every other book of the Bible. And if it was Ecclesiastes, minus that, there's two paragraphs in Ecclesiastes, which I would argue with certain scholars has been purposefully put and believe in God, which is total bullshit because you know, it has, it, there's like no continuity. He says it's all bullshit. He would never say and believe Overdubbed, in God. It's inserted. like, inserted, right. It's like, enjoy food, good times. That's all there is in life. There's no justice. Fuck it all. Just try to enjoy what you can while it's there. And in a sense, you're just like, that ain't wrong. That ain't wrong, bitch. And one more thing. And praise Megalon. And one more thing, the other the surprising thing, for the most part, Psalms and Proverbs are all bullshit. I tried, I tried to salvage it. It's not salvage. It's not going in the book. But there is one thing that you were just like reading, and you're like, oh, that's good advice. It was like sleep on it. It was like this one tiny one passage. Nugget. Go, don't go to bed angry, which I've read, uh, you know, in, in Psychology Today, is a good idea. Never go to bed angry. That's fine. You you should sometimes go to bed angry. Sleep on it. Sleep on it. Wow, what a bit of wisdom. And that's the end of it. (laughs) So that's the good part. Right. The good parts. The parts (laughs) that I like to talk about. The other parts, it it ranges from either a misogynistic, xenophobic, racist, um, genocidal first portion Hmm. to a beaten housewife syndrome last portion where basically you're thanking God for beating the shit out of you. It's a very conflicting kind of like thing, which is why the end part of the Bible is just so difficult to write. But, uh, yeah, like it's, it's written as a, as a, as a, as a beaten woman. That's the most surprising thing about the Bible. These literalists who always refer back to the text will, uh, surely be shocked at what's actually written. It's, well, you know, here's the thing. The literalists, if you want, I mean, this is going to be a fucking shocking thing, but I mean, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say it on the show, everybody, is if, you know, you often wonder why these Orthodox Jews, uh, go to these conferences where they have these Holocaust deniers and you're just like, what the fuck, man? How can you support this shit? Well, the answer is who is Cyrus the Great? Well, Cyrus the Great was a Persian emperor who basically ruled over what I guess everybody thinks was the kingdom of Jerusalem and and Israel, right? Because it kept on being exchanged, like tossed around like some unfortunate fucking, you know, hooker. Yeah, just basically tossed around from empire to motherfucking empire. And And it reaches Cyrus 
who does like many others, you know, sort of like kill a few people, whatever. But he does let them rebuild their temple, which they kind of appreciate. But more importantly, God was the instrument from which he punished the Jews through Cyrus. And that includes their, you know, enslavement, if you want, uh, their death in battle and all this other kind of stuff. So let me ask you, in that perspective, if the punishment for Jews for idolatry, for living amongst the Gentiles, interbreeding with them, obeying their customs and that kind of stuff, Terrible. which, by the way, was a serious problem in the first century around the time where Jesus appears, you know, with uh, Hellenism really being a problem. Uh, but yeah, what you have now is sort of like this group that says, well, God, every time that God does something bad to us, it's because we have sinned so where does that place the holocaust hmm. well to orthodox That's jews comfortable question the holocaust is a ju- is 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 basically the same thing as cyrus the great the punishment for basically having participated in secular society and not essentially separated themselves Jeez. and done everything that the book basically said and if you read the last 12 chapters the minor prophets that basically celebrate celebrate their own massacre it sort of like puts you in a chilling position of saying like, had the book, uh, had the Bible been written now, what would Hitler have been called if he was basically punishing Jews for just the same way that uh, basically God had punished Jews during the Assyrians, during the Babylonians and the Egyptians, supposedly? What's the difference? And of course, you're not condoning any of this violence or, or no, 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 terror, but... This is, but you have to understand when you read the Bible, it is this, and it, it doesn't surprise you why, you know, the, why Christianity is a cult of death, is because by the end of the Bible, it's essentially, it just sounds like somebody just waiting to be shot. Mm-hmm. It's like basically being like, when will you deliver us? Be like, just, you know, when is it all going to be over? The hope, of course, is that someone is going, you know, rises up, liberates the place, and, you know, an air of peace happens and you're just like oh that little fantasy yeah no it's never going to happen but no seriously like you look at a culture who's obviously unfortunately between empires right they're just they're sandwiched between a number of empires that are just sort of like just passing through them nothing they could ever do about it but when you look at their religious material it sounds very much like that of someone who gets every you know every once in a while brutally massacred and you're like, why did this happen? Why did, why did these guys come over here and kill us by the millions? Could it be that our God decided that we didn't do something right? Or could it be that there's no God? Well, seriously, there can't be no God. No, it must be the God who's angry at us. Let's re-examine that hypothesis here. Yeah. I think we know the it's answer. Harsh yeah, it's a harsh fucking reality. But... That is the Bible, folks. It's not an easy fucking read. (laughs) He read it for you, so you don't have to. I read it for you. I rewrote it in a way that I think I captured everything about the narrative, but I tried to make it entertaining. And and if I succeeded in this, and if you guys think that uh, I made the Bible funny and and instructive, then I I hope you realize how important this is going to be. And that this is just the motherfucking tip of the iceberg... Three grand in 12 hours. Can we do it? Can we do it? That's the question. Well, you know what? Stay tuned. In just a few moments, we're going to feature the 
preview of the audiobook, and you're going to get to decide for yourself, is waiting two weeks just too much? Like, can you do it? Is it just going to be like, is this telethon going to happen? Or are we going to make this thing? Do you want this book to happen? Have all your dreams come true? Is Bible stories everything you hoped it was going to be? Tom, you heard some of the audio. What do you think? In stitches. <laughs> In stitches. He's, he's, he's lying. But that's only because he has a vested interest. What? What? As what? supreme executive producer, I... What? I don't know what you're talking about. What you're talking about. So, guys, stay tuned for more news. Telethon coming up. All kinds of interesting things. We have a shirt, too, by the way. A Flying Spaghetti Monster shirt. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty badass. So I've I've kind of like I know I've I've taken a bit of time off the book to just make the telethon happen, which I don't know if this is the necessarily the wisest thing. But when you see all this cool stuff that I've done anyways, which is just going to serve the book in the long run, you're going to be excited. You're going to know that I haven't disappeared uh, and stopped doing things. It's just that you know we can't do I can't do shows anymore. I'm just so busy with other stuff. I'm sorry, like. You know, but you can you're gonna be able to tune in for twelve hours of me. So much me that you're gonna tune out. You know, you're gonna be like, Oh, what's Jacob doing? Okay, that's enough. Well, <laughs> during the twelve hours there yeah. will be breaks from you, right? Well, there will be if there's <laughs> interviews with other people, I'm still involved okay, in yeah. them. But that's the whole problem. I'm still <laughs> peripherally in your face yeah, for twelve hours. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in like the corner or whatever. So if you think for a moment that you can take 12 hours of that shit then fucking tune in tune in bitch November 23rd it's gonna be wild it's gonna be wild November 23rd uh, Tommy Boy is gonna be like uh, juggling and shit so what are, we, what are we juggling by the way rings balls what else we got we might try to light some on fire we'll see no. well it depends we'll see. on how mobile our camera is yeah it yeah. depends it depends but I wouldn't recommend fire in the back here you have a lot of leaves we got a lot of leaves, folks. Woo, and they're really dry. We're taking a big <laughs> risk on this one. Woo. He tried to telethon and he burned Tom's house down. Nice job. Hey, nice job. Hey, maybe we can just fund my thing with your insurance monies. Hey, I don't think it's your insurance money, is it? No. I don't know. Yeah. That's a bad idea. The whole thing is a bad idea. The whole thing's a bad idea. All right, well, stay tuned for the show uh, or for the preview and. Uh, if you're if you need to get the support on go to jacobfortan.com there'll be instructions on what you guys need to do and uh, also dates about when this thing is happening the concrete dates that'll be released at the same time that this bitch is all right with that my name is jacob fortan my host give everybody my name is tom you're going to be on the poster man you <laughs> son of a bitch yeah he still doesn't want to okay mysterious tom it is then <laughs> thanks tom all right Catch you uh, on the flip side. Ever ha I don't even want to say have a good atheist day because it feels wrong. Just listen to the fucking thing. You're going to enjoy it. Book of Genesis. Genesis, part one. In the beginning of everything that ever was, God created the heavens and the earth. A boring, formless mass of liquid cloaked in darkness, the earth had relatively low property value, but tons of potential. The Spirit of God, hovering above it like a comic book villain, said, Let there be light. And the whole place lit up magically without any point of origin. To ensure this bright new creation would forever be different from the black void, the Creator named one of them light and the other darkness. God saw what he had done and, needless to say, was extremely impressed with himself. I mean, wouldn't you be? 
The following day, determined to best his brilliant invention of light, God separated the waters in two and called the upper part sky, leaving the bottom half unnamed before taking the rest of the day off. On the third day, he commanded the waters move aside and give some space for something more solid, and chose this moment to give both the land and the seas their familiar names and locations. Let the land burst forth with all kinds of grass and seed-bearing plants, he exclaimed. Brilliantly anticipating the need for each seed to produce the same kind of plant that bored in the first place, he set the laws of heredity in motion before the day was through. Although it was difficult for even God to be certain if he had surpassed himself, he could see that it was all good. Deciding his new creation required adequate lighting, God set about creating an astonishing variety of distinct light sources that pockmarked the sky. Most were tiny and significant, but two of them were special. The first and most glorious was the sun. Having spent most of his talents making this shining gem, God gave it the top spot during the day, leaving the dimmer moon stuck with the night shift. Taking a look at this new illuminated cosmos, his humble fabulous congratulated himself yet again on a job amazingly well done and called it a day. After a tumultuous fourth day of building an entire universe of stars to properly orient a future creation he had yet to build, God slowed things down a little and put his focus on filling his new world with hordes of birds and fish, commanding them to breed until the entire earth was overrun with scaly and feathery creatures. With these two species well on the way towards world domination, God took the rest of the day off. Saving the best for last, on his final day of creation, God decided to design something a little more in his image. And after continuing to improve on his animal menagerie, he finally built the first humans, both male and female, simultaneously. After giving them a nice blessing, he informed this new species that all the other creatures in this magnificent garden were theirs to do as they saw fit, and the earth was their new playground. And so, with an entire universe now functioning with clockwork efficiency, God decided to take the Saturday off to wind down and relax a little. Genesis Part Deux Creating paradise was no easy task, and God had no desire to spend his free time doing the hard work of tilling the soil and making sure the place didn't fall apart. To rectify the situation, he grabbed a handful of wet dirt and fashioned a clay Pinocchio out of it. After giving it magical CPR, the creation burst to life like a shitty Disney movie. God named him Adam, meaning man, and to lodge this special new creation, he built a garden on the east side of the globe and filled it with delicious fruit trees. At the center of the garden, God planted two with magical properties. The first was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the second offered the gift of eternal life. Putting man in charge of running the place, despite his inexperience, God told Adam he could enjoy the flesh of any fruit in the garden save one, the enticingly mysterious tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, he exclaimed, you'll fucking die. This, as God would later learn, is something called setting someone up for failure. Deciding man was best not left to his own devices, God formed an endless array of different creatures, both large and small, and showcased them to his new bipedal creation. Adam gave them all names, but none seemed to suit his sexual proclivities. In a stroke of genius, God placed Adam in a deep sleep to stealthily remove one of his ribs, and used it to form a sexier, sleekier version of his finicky creation. 
When he finally awoke, Adam instantly fell madly in love with this mutated part of himself and named it woman in his honor. Now, of all the creatures God created to service man, the most devious by far was the snake. One day, he approached Adam's wife, who was eating quietly by herself and minding her own business, to ask, Did God tell you that you weren't allowed to eat any of the fruits here in the garden? Of course we can eat what we want, she replied. It's only from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not supposed to touch. God says we'll die if we do. You won't die, you stupid idiot, hissed the serpent. The only reason God doesn't want you to eat it is because he's afraid you'll become just like him and be able to tell the difference between right and wrong, that's all. Possessing no innate wisdom and enticed by the forbidden fruit, Adam's wife could no longer resist and took a large bite of it. She hurriedly shared the prize with Adam, and in an instant both saw their extreme nudity and suddenly understood the principle of body shame. Gathering the most delicate fabric available at the time, coarse fig leaves, the couple fashioned the world's first, and probably worst, pair of underwear. In the evening, as God was strolling down the garden, Adam and his wife hid themselves among the trees to avoid being seen. Where are you? shouted the omniscient creator of the universe. We heard you, God, so we hid because we were afraid you'd see us naked, replied Adam. Who told you about the shame of being nude? God asked. Did you eat from that tree I specifically told you not to? Yes, but to be fair, she made me do it, Adam replied courageously as he pointed to his wife. God turned to her angrily and he bellowed, How could you do such a thing, you twit? It was the snake, she said. He tricked me, that's why I ate it. Because you did this, Yahweh thundered at his slithery creation. I'm going to punish you, snake. First... I'll amputate your limbs so you'll be forced to crawl around in your stomach your whole fucking life. Then, of all the animals on this planet, I've chosen your species to be cursed with the most twisted and violent sex. Finally, to top it all off, I'll make sure your own offspring are constantly trying to kill you. God then turned to the woman and said, From now on, it's going to hurt like a bitch any time you give birth. And while you might feel a burning desire for your husband, he'll be your master from now on. So shut your mouth and do what the fuck he tells you to. And this charming stories, ladies and gentlemen, explains why women get the raw deal when it comes to the marital arrangements and are essentially considered property in the Bible. As for you, Adam, for the crime of having listened to your wife and done something wrong without possessing the ability to distinguish it from right, I will now curse the ground and make it a pain in the ass for things to grow. You'll toil endlessly and have almost nothing to show for it at the end of the day. I'm even going to invent something called thorns on some plants, so your hands get all cut up and shit just to annoy you. I made you out of dust, and that's what you will eventually turn back into. Jackass. It was then that a chastised and defeated Adam, finally, gave his wife a name. Eve, the mother of all people. After killing a few creatures and fashioning some clothing from their hollowed-out skin, God presented his children with these final parting gifts. Deadly afraid that they might disobey him yet again and eat from the tree of life and become gods of themselves, Yahweh, like any inexperienced parents trying to discipline their kids, chose the only reasonable course of action. He kicked them out of the house for good. As a positive sign of future relations, God stationed uber-powerful angelic security guards at the East Gate 
and set up a friendly flaming sword to forever guard the path to the tree of life. Exiled from Eden Life was harsh in a new land cursed by a loving God, but Adam and Eve trudged on, and like any young couple in love who barely know one another, they quickly had a child. Despite the pain of labor, Eve was grateful for her new son Cain and thanked God. The couple soon had a second son, whom they called Abel. Abel became a shepherd while Cain labored the land. When it was time to make the first sacrifices to God, the sweet smell of sinew and burnt blood pleased God more than that of roasted vegetables. This greatly angered Cain, who had visibly worked harder for his sacrifice. Why are you so angry? asked God. If you act cool, then there won't be a problem. But if you don't fall in line, you better watch out. Sin is out there to destroy you, pal. I said no, I invented it. Enraged by jealousy and refusing to listen to God's advice, Cain invited his brother Abel for a nice walk in the field. When no one was looking, he grabbed a nearby rock and cracked Abel's head open like a walnut. Shortly after burying his brother in a shallow grave, Cain was visited by God who inquired on the whereabouts of his brother. I don't know, he said, overreacting. Am I my brother's keeper, man? Do you think I'm an idiot? replied God. I can hear your dead brother's blood crying out from the ground, you fool. And now, because you committed the first homicide in the short history of mankind, I will banish you from here. From this moment on, you'll be a vagabond, forever roaming the earth like a bum. Hey, man, that's a bit harsh for a little old fratricide, don't you think? Cain said defiantly. Not only are you banishing me from your highly localized presence, but you've decided to turn me into a hobo. Anyone who sees me is going to try to kill me. Pausing for a moment to salvage his poorly thought out punishment, God finally replied, I'll make sure no one tries to kill you. If they do, I'll give them seven times your arbitrary punishment. Your Lord and Master has spoken. Then, to make sure everyone would know not to fuck with him, God gave Cain a badass scar and sent him on his way. And so Cain left the Lord's designated area, and rather than wander around aimlessly forever, he settled with his wife in the land of Nod. There he built a city and named it after his first son, Enoch. His family would go on to have a long line of descendants, some of whom became successful inventors and smiths, while others went on to become the world's first musicians. Not really. As for his great-great-great-grandson Lamech, not only was he the world's first polygamist, but he also continued the family tradition of taking a life and promising the Lord's revenge on anyone who would dare punish him for it. At the tender age of 130, Adam had another son whom he called Seth. Although unremarkable in life, Seth would live vicariously through the achievement of his own son, Enosh, who set the precedent for worshipping God. Time marched on, and some of God's angels began to take notice of all the hot, available females down on earth. Copulating with them furiously, they soon filled the earth with a race of supergiants, much to God's great displeasure. 
while it was true that people were sinning less, this was mainly due to the fact that the Mighty One had reset the maximum human lifespan at a century rather than a millennium or so. Although this had done little to fix the basic problem of everyone being a little shit. Disappointed with how his first attempt at creation had turned out, God regretted crafting them in the first place. I'm going to completely wipe them off the face of the earth, he said to himself, heartbroken. And I'll destroy all the animals and birds who walk on the land for good measure. I'm sorry I ever bothered making these assholes. Noah and the Flood Of all the people on earth, the only one God didn't murderously hate was Noah, son of Lamech. Dismayed by the corruption and violence that had sprung up in his absence, God appeared before Noah to tell him a bit of bad news. I've decided to destroy every living creature on the earth, he began casually. Because it's filled with depravity and violence everywhere, and I refuse to try and salvage the situation. So, I thought the solution would be to wipe them all out and start all over the clean slate. Here's what I want you to do. Make a boat out of gopher wood, and seal it with pitch inside and out. Then, construct some decks and a bunch of stalls in the interior. Make it exactly 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Once that's completed, construct a door on one of the sides. Now, if you haven't figured it out, I'm about to flood the planet and destroy every living creature I work really hard to make. However, I promise to keep you and your fucking family safe in the boat I want you to build. I went to a lot of trouble crafting some of these animals, so I'm commissioning you to bring a pair of every kind there is, both male and female, and keep them alive during the duration of the deluge, however long that's going to take. And remember, concluded God, Take a lot of food for you and your family and all the animals, because I'm not telling you precisely how long this whole thing's going to take, and you wouldn't want to starve, would you? And so Noah set to work building a boat in the middle of nowhere, just as God had ordered him to. Finally, when Noah had finished doing the impossible, I mean, considering the size of his crew and his own advanced age, God appeared again. All right, it's time for you all to get in the boat. So be sure to take along seven pairs of animals that have been officially sanctioned for sacrifice and only one pair of the others. Then be sure to bring seven pairs of every kind of bird and make sure there are both males and females in the mix. One week from today, I'm going to bring rain for 40 days and 40 nights and wipe everything on earth that ever existed. So get ready, bitches! Two by two, the menagerie of animals came, domestic and wild, small and large, and all climbed aboard in a realistic, orderly fashion. Not long after Noah finished celebrating his 600th birthday, the water levels began to rise, bursting forth from inside the earth and falling from the sky. The rain continued for 40 days and nights, and everything that breathed the air and lived on dry land died horribly. Only Noah and his boat full of goods survived.
For 150 days, water covered all of the earth. But God had not entirely forgotten about Noah and his brood. So he sent winds to blow across the water to recede the floods. The geysers stopped gushing and the rain clouds finally disappeared. Two and a half months later, the peaks of the mountains finally began to appear. After another 40 days, Noah opened the only window he had in the boat. Hey, only 250 straight days stuck in a cramped space with a bunch of animals. How bad could it be? And sent out a raven to see if it could find dry land. When it failed to find any, he replaced it with a dove instead, but it too returned shortly after. Waiting another week, he sent the dove out again, which returned with the iconic olive branch in its beak, final proof that dry land was returning. When he released it again a week later, it never returned, and Noah knew the time had finally come for him to land. Over a year had gone by when Noah and his family were finally contacted by God, and when he appeared, they were all ordered out of the boat. Pair by pair, the animals marched calmly out of the ark, and when it was empty, Noah built an altar and slew the extra birds and other animals he had squirreled away for this very purpose. Pleased with the burnt and mutilated corpse offered to him, God made a solemn promise to himself to celebrate the occasion. I won't be doing that again. Even if people's thoughts are all fucked up and evil starting as early as childhood. As long as the earth remains the way it is, there will be seasons, days and nights, and probably fewer mass drownings. Go out there and shag like bunnies to repopulate the earth, my child, said God, blessing Noah. Also, be aware that animals are going to be scared shitless of you now since I've given you complete power over them. You can use them as food too if you like, just don't eat anything that still has blood in it. Seconds me. As for cold-blooded murder, it's totally forbidden now, and this goes for both man and animal. Any creature that murders another must be killed, no questions asked. Then God said to Noah and his sons, I'm making a special contract with you and your descendants. Hell, even the livestock you brought along for your trip. I promise never to try and wipe you all out or attempt to destroy the earth ever again. As a sign of this eternal, I'm not going to arbitrarily drown you all, bargain. I've invented something called a rainbow. And every time you see it, it will remind you of this terrifying covenant I just made. And so it was that Noah's three sons, Shen, Ham, and Japheth, had survived the flood with their wives, and they began to repopulate the barren world. Their seed would one day account for all the scattered people of the earth who descend from them. Noah went on to become a farmer, and planted the world's very first vineyard. One day, after getting drunk off his harvest, the old man decided to take a nap, naked as a jaybird. His son Ham noticed his denuded father and alerted his brothers. Shem and Jepeth, grabbing a nearby robe, carefully covered him up while making sure not to directly look at his man-meat. When he finally awoke from his drunken coma, Noah learned of what Ham had done and was furious and probably very hungover. 
He cursed Ham and all of his descendants so that one day his Canaanite children would all be slaves. This, by the way, accounts for countless racist theories that have sprung up from this story of paternal abuse, most notably that all dark-skinned people are descendant of the curse of Ham and thus fit to be slaves. Noah lived on for another 350 years after the flood, finally perishing at the ripe old age of 950. The Tower of Babel Back in those old, half-remembered times, all the people of the world spoke the same language. As people migrated eastward, many settled in Babylonia. There they began talking about a construction project of epic proportions, a tower that would be a monument to human greatness. They believed that by working together towards a common goal, lasting peace could be achieved. With the premise of the human race no longer scattered all over the world and cooperating together to accomplish amazing wonders, work on the tower began in earnest. Watching from below, God was unhappy with their progress. If they can accomplish a feat like this in a relatively short period of time, he told himself, then there's nothing they won't be able to accomplish in short order. This whole business of speaking the same language is making things too easy for them. I'll give them all different ones. That way they won't be able to understand one another and they'll stop getting along so well. And so the people were scattered once again, unable to cooperate and afraid of one another, just the way God wanted it. The Egyptian Job Time marched on, and Shem did as God commanded and multiplied with vigor. He had many children, all of whom were forced to marry terrifyingly close kin. Over time, one of his descendants, Terah, sired a son, Abram, whom God took an immediate interest in. Married to his infertile half-sister, Sarai, Abram and his family left the city of Ur to settle in the land of Canaan, but gave up halfway and settled instead in the village of Haran. Abram's father, Terah, died there shortly after at the age of 205, and it was then that God chose to appear before Abram for the first time. Abram, he began rather nonchalantly, I want you to move out of your father's house. I'm going to relocate you to a new land, and there I'll make you a father of a great nation. You'll be a superstar, and everyone will know your name. Everyone who dares to talk shit about you will be cursed themselves, and only your direct descendants are going to matter to me at all. Still in the prime of his life at 75 years young, Abram did as God ordered, bringing his nephew Lot and his brood along, too. They packed all of their belongings and set off on their uneventful journey to the land of Canaan. After setting up camp near Sheshem, Abram was again visited by the Lord. Okay, so this is the land that I'm going to be giving to you and all your offspring that currently belongs to someone else, he said, pointing all around. To commemorate this ambitious promise, Abram built an altar there, slaughtering some of the local wildlife mercilessly before continuing his journey southward. 
in the hills between Bethel and Ai, he constructed another altar and eviscerated a living creature on it once again for God's glory. Fortunately, the land God had promised Abram was experiencing a loving drought, so Abram journeyed further south to the land of Egypt to wait it out. Before arriving at the border, the old patriarch turned to his wife with a concerned look on his face. "'You're pretty hot,' he observed. "'When the Egyptians see you, they might try to kill me in order to marry you. "'However, if we tell them you're my sister, which isn't technically a lie, "'then they'll treat me nicely in order to try to sleep with you. "'It's a totally foolproof plan.' Sure enough, when they arrived in Egypt, all the locals could talk about was how beautiful Saray was. Word soon spread to the palace officials, who convinced the pharaoh to take her to his harem, which is really a nice word for what basically amounts to a rape den. To compensate Abram for taking his property, the pharaoh gave him many gifts, including cattle, sheep, slaves of both sexes, as well as a few camels to boot. But soon after the marriage... God sent a plague on Pharaoh's household to punish him for marrying Sarai. Enraged, he summoned Abram for an explanation. What the hell did you do to me, he fumed. Why did you tell me she was your fucking wife? Why even let me marry her in the first place by telling everyone she was your sister, man? That's just messed up. Here, take your wife slash sister or whatever back and get the fuck out of here. To ensure their departure, the pharaoh sent armed escorts to see them out of the country, and Abram and his family continued north to the Negev region. Wealthy with livestock from their Egyptian hosts, the land could not support both his wealth and that of his nephew Lot, and the two fought constantly about it. This arguing has got to stop, Abram said after a particular heated exchange. We're family, for God's sakes. Tell you what. Choose any section of the land that you want, and we'll separate it. If you want that area over there, then stay there. If you want to stay here, then I'll be the one who moves. Deal? So Lot chose the land east of the Jordan Valley and settled near a bustling new metropolis called Sodom. The people there, however, were evil in the eyes of God. They committed outrageous sins against a deity they were completely oblivious to often with impunity. With Lot gone, God appeared once more to Abram. Take a look around, he said. All of this land, as far as the eye can see in every direction, will be my gift to you. Take a walk around, explore this new possession I'm giving you, and enjoy. Abram's Dream one night, while Abram was sleeping, God came to visit him in a dream. Don't be afraid, insignificant one, he said. I'm going to protect you and give you many gifts. Oh, Lord, replied a morose Abram. What's the point of all these rewards if I have no son? When I die, all my wealth is probably going to go to one of my useless slaves because you haven't given me any children. Look, don't worry about it. I got this shit covered. No slave is going to get rich off of you, man. You're going to have a son soon enough, and he'll be the one inheriting everything I give you. God said reassuringly as he brought him under a canopy of stars. Look up at the night sky and see if you can guess how many stars there are. 
That's how many descendants you'll have. Way too many to count. Abram believed him despite any concrete evidence, and this greatly pleased Yahweh, who blessed him for his mindless trust. I am your lord and master who brought you out of Ur to give you this land, he said confidently. How can I be sure you'll give me land that clearly belongs to someone else? asked a suddenly skeptical Abram. Get me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle of, and a young pigeon, and slaughter them all for me, replied God mysteriously. Then you'll know. Abram fulfilled God's extremely specific request, and he split them all in half with the exception of the birds. When the vultures inevitably became attracted to this festering pile of meat and bones, he dutifully shooed them away for hours. It was all hugely productive. That night, Abram had a terrifying nightmare filled with darkness and horror, and became upset by it. Don't worry, God said in an effort to calm him down. You're going to live to a ripe old age and die in relative peace. It's your descendants who will suffer and be strangers in a foreign land, only to be oppressed by slavery for hundreds of years. Luckily, I'll rescue them from bondage and eventually punish the nation that enslaved them in the first place. I'll even give them great wealth just to square things off, so it's all good. When your descendants return and the Amorite sins have all run their course, they'll come back to claim this entire land, specifically the area bordering Egypt and the Euphrates River. That includes the lands of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Not bad, right? The New Deal Time continued to march on, but Abram and Sarai had yet to have children. Worried they would die without an heir, Sarai presented her slave Hagar to Abram. Look, I'm tired of waiting for a child, so I want you to fuck her so she can bear me one, she said. Abraham agreed and had totally consensual sex with his property. Wink. But not long after becoming pregnant, Hagar began to treat her mistress with contempt. <laughs> they get raped a few times and they think they own the place. What nerve. This is all your fault, Sarai said, scolding Abram. Now that she's pregnant, she totally hates me. God is going to punish you for doing such an awful thing to me. Look, she's your servant, Sarai. Do whatever the hell you want with her. I don't care, rebuked Abram. Seizing the opportunity for revenge, Sarai began abusing Hagar, so severely that the poor girl was forced to run away. But the desert was no place for a pregnant girl, and so an angel of God reached her as she wandered, and when he found her, he said, Return home and submit to your master, young one. If you do, your descendants will be more numerous than you, an illiterate slave can count. When you give birth to your son, you shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your suffering. And that's a lot as far as he's concerned. One final word of warning, he concluded. Your son is going to be wild and unpredictable. He won't make friends easily, and odds are he's going to pick fights with those around him, including his own brothers. In due time, Hagar gave birth to a son, and he was called Ishmael. At 86 years of age, the old patriarch was finally a father. Four years later, God returned to pay Abram a visit. In order to fulfill your end of the bargain for this covenant I'm making with you, I'm going to lay down a few ground rules. He began. First, I want you to cut the foreskin off your penises. 
Don't argue with me on this. I want it to be a painful sign of my everlasting covenant with you. I also want this done, if possible, exactly eight days after the child is born. This doesn't just apply to you, by the way. It also applies to the foreign-born slaves you own. This will be a way of knowing who is part of the gang and who isn't. Who knows? This might even become a trend in the future. Secondly, I want both you and your wife to change your names. Nothing drastic, really. I want you to be called Abraham from now on, and Sarai will be known as Sarah. I'm going to make her the mother of a great nation. Even kings will trace their ancestry through her. Abraham prostrated himself to the ground dutifully, but despite his God-fearing, could not help but laugh in disbelief. <laughs> Look, I don't want to sound like a dick or something, Lord, but Sarai, I mean Sarah, is 90 years old. How the hell is she going to have a kid? Surely you mean my son Ishmael will enjoy your special blessing, no? Are you deaf? No, I said Sarah would bear you a son. I demand you call him Isaac, a name which will confirm my deal with him and his offspring. I'll bless Ishmael too, and he'll have a ton of descendants as well. But I want to be clear that my deal is with Isaac, who is going to be born by this time next year. Now, you know what to do. And with that, God left. Abram called all of his male slaves, as well as his 13-year-old son Ishmael to him, and without the advent of modern anesthesia or antibiotics, cut the foreskin off just as the voice in his head had instructed him to. With everyone finally mutilated, he turned the blade on himself and fulfilled his end of God's excruciating covenant. He was 99 years old. Not long after, as Abraham was camping near some oak groves owned by a friend, he noticed a group of men standing nearby. Recognizing one of the men as the creator of the universe, he bowed deeply to greet them. My lord, he said, why don't you stop here and rest for a while? My slaves will get you some water and wash your feet. I'll even prepare food for you, so please, stay. Reaching out to fetch a plump calf from the herd, he summoned one of his slaves and instructed him to butcher it. When the food was finally prepared, an arrangement of cheese curds and milk was brought along to accompany it, and they feasted under the shade of an oak tree. Where's your wife? they asked him. In the tent. In a year's time, one of them said, Sarah is going to give birth to a son. Having overheard their conversation, Sarah couldn't help but burst into laughter. <laughs> How can a worn-out old hag like me have a child, she whispered quietly. Did your wife just laugh at me? asked God, furious. Why did she say, How could an old hag like me have a child? Does she not know nothing is impossible for a god like me? I just told you that in a year's time she's going to have a son, and that's exactly what's going to happen, damn it! I didn't laugh, I swear, lied a terrified Sarah. Don't fucking lie to me, you did laugh. After an awkward silence, the men got up and began making their way towards the city of Sodom. Abraham politely escorted them partly there, but on the way, God couldn't help but wonder if he should tell Abraham the true purpose of his visit. I did single him out to be blessed, he told himself. So I probably should. Listen, Abraham, I've heard some reports that the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah are morally depraved to the extreme, and I'm on my way to investigate this myself. 
said the all-knowing Lord of the Cosmos. The other two men went ahead, but God stayed behind to talk to Abraham some more. Are you going to kill innocent people along with the guilty? Abraham asked. What if you find, like, 50 innocent people there? Would you still destroy it? No, I'd spare it if I could find 50 innocent people, replied God. Would you spare them if you found 45 innocent people? Abraham retorted. Yeah, I'd spare Sodom if I could find 45 innocent people, sure. This goes on for way too long, so we'll skip ahead. Okay, said Abraham, testing God's patience. Don't get mad, but I want to speak one more time. Suppose you found ten of them. Finally, the Lord acquiesced. If I can find ten innocent people in the whole of Sodom, he said, then I'll spare it, I promise. Sodom and Gomorrah That evening, both angels arrived at the town of Sodom. Sitting by the entrance, Lot approached them, greeting them respectfully. My lords, he said, come over to my house and wash the only part of your body that counts, your feet. You'll be my guest for the night, and you can wake at whatever time you like tomorrow before leaving. That's okay, the angels replied, resisting his invitation. We were planning on spending the night in the city square. Refusing to accept no for an answer, Lot was soon able to win them over, and they gave up arguing with him. As the household prepared for bed, a large group of locals suddenly surrounded the dwelling. Where are those two hot guys who came to spend the night at your place, old man? Bring them out so we can give them a proper town greeting, they demanded. Stepping outside and shutting the door behind him, Lot tried valiantly to talk sense into them. Please, my brothers, he pleaded. I can't let you rape these men. Why don't you take my two unspoiled daughters and do whatever the hell you want with them instead? I beg you, leave these men alone. They're under my protection. Get the fuck out of our way, the crowd shouted back. Who the hell do you think you are? We let you live in our city, and now you're trying to tell us how to have a good time? Oh, wait until we get our hands on you. Just when the tensions couldn't get any higher, the door suddenly burst open, and the two angels pulled Locke back inside, quickly locking the door. Then, using their angel magic, they blinded the men outside so no one could find the doorway. Eventually, those who hadn't been freaked out by this new handicap gave up their efforts and returned home. Do you have any relatives in this city? The angels asked. Get them the fuck out of here, now. Hurry, we have to leave the city before God destroys it, said Lot as he rushed to warn his sons-in-law. They both paused, looked at each other, and laughed hysterically. By morning, the angels were not messing around and became insistent that Lot and his brood leave immediately. Take your wife and two daughters and get the fuck out of here this second or you'll be destroyed as well. With Lot staring at them like a deer caught in the headlights, the angels saw no other alternative than to grab his hand and those of his daughters and rush them out physically out of the city. Run for your lives, you morons, they said. They said, but whatever you do, don't look back or you'll die. My lords, you've been so kind to me, said Lot, but I cannot go to the mountains at my age. I'm older than dirt, and I'll surely die up there. There's a small village nearby. Why don't you let me go there instead so I don't have to live in a cave? Fine. There's a small town not far away called Zor. We promise to spare it. Now hurry and get the fuck out of here already. As Lot and his family began to flee, they could hear the terrifying sounds of brimstone raining down and shattering the cities to pieces. Unable to contain her curiosity, 
Lot's wife looked back to take a peek at the carnage and was instantly turned into a pillar of salt. Not long after settling in Zor, Lot and his remaining family became convinced that the villagers were going to kill them, so they settled in a cave Lot had wanted to avoid in the first place to figure out their next move. One day, the eldest daughter, concerned about the family line, said to her younger sister, There aren't any men in this entire area suitable for us to marry, and Dad is getting a bit too old for children. I think we should get him drunk and then sleep with him. That way we can keep the family line going. That night, serving him an excessive amount of wine, the younger sister raped her father without his knowledge. The scheme worked so well, in fact, that the oldest daughter did the exact same thing the following evening. Both became pregnant shortly after, much to Lot's surprise. When the eldest daughter finally gave birth to a son, she called him Mob, and he would become the ancestors of the Mobites. The younger daughter also had a son and called him Ben, who would become the ancestors of the Ammonites. Not really. The Gerar Job Abraham continued to roam the land, and he eventually settled in the Negev Desert near the town of Gerar. Having learned in Egypt how advantageous it was to subtly lie to outsiders, Abraham lied once more and told the local Sarah was his sister, not his wife. The king of Gerar, Abimelech, was struck by her beauty and summoned her to his palace to marry. But one night as he slept, Abimelech was visited by God in a dream. You're a fucking dead man, the Lord thundered. That woman is already married. Having yet to sleep with her, a confused Abimelech replied, You're not going to kill an innocent man, are you? Abraham told me she was his sister, so how the hell was I supposed to know? That's why I didn't let you touch her, bellowed God. Now, hand her back to her rightful owner and ask Abraham if he'll pray for you on my behalf. Seriously, though, if you don't return her by tomorrow, I'll kill you and your whole fucking family. The next morning, when he awoke, Abimelech summoned his slave and explained to them what had transpired that night. When he told them of the prediction, everyone was scared shitless, so Abimelech had Abraham brought before him. Why did you do this to us? he moaned. What have I done to deserve such shabby treatment? You shouldn't do this kind of thing to people. It's totally fucked up. Look, replied Abraham, I figured since you're a bunch of godless heathens without any morals, you wouldn't hesitate to kill me to marry my hot wife, so I told her she was my sister. Besides, it's not technically a lie. We have the same dad. Abimelech turned to Sarah, disgusted. Look, I've given your husband slash brother a bunch of sheep, oxen, slaves, and a thousand pieces of silver to compensate for any embarrassment on your part. This should settle any divorce disputes, don't you think? Abraham prayed to God, and the curse was lifted. With the prayer complete and everyone happy to be fertile again, Abraham and his wife left the city with even more loot than before, determined to settle elsewhere. A Test of Faith Just as God had promised, Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, whom they called Isaac. Elated, Sarah exclaimed with joy, Anyone who hears about this is going to laugh their asses off. I mean, imagine that. An old lady giving birth. It's pretty unbelievable when you think about it. Eight days later, Abraham, always a stickler for God's rules, cut the foreskin off his child's penis, just as God had ordered him to. As time passed and Isaac grew old enough to eat solid food, Abraham held a big celebration to commemorate the late birth of his son. At the party, Sarah noticed Ishmael teasing Isaac, and this enraged her. 
I demand that you get rid of that bitch Hagar and her son. No way in hell is he getting any of Isaac's inheritance. I won't stand for it. Abraham was upset at the thought of abandoning his firstborn, but God appeared in a vision to alleviate his fears. Don't worry about it, he said. Just do what Sarah says and give Ishmael the boat. It's Isaac I care about anyways. He's the one who's going to have countless descendants, remember? Besides, I'll make sure Ishmael fathers his own nation, too. Abandon him in the desert, and I'll take care of everything else. The next morning, Abraham packed some food and water, which he strapped on Hagar's shoulders and sent the two packing. Inexperienced and alone, they wandered aimlessly in the desert until they ran out of water. Leaving Ishmael under the cover of a tree, Hagar sat down by herself a distance away not to be overheard praying. Please, God, she begged, bursting into tears. I don't want to watch my boy slowly die. God overheard their crying and called out to them. What's wrong? Don't be afraid, Hagar. I've heard your boy crying like a little bitch, and I won't let you die. Suddenly, with her eyes open thanks to a little Yahweh magic, she noticed a nearby well and gave her thirsty son a little water. The two would survive being obediently abandoned by Abraham, and Ishmael would go on to become a great archer. Hagar married him to a beautiful woman from Egypt, and as time went on, he had countless offspring and fathered many nations. Did he, though? Not long after banishing his son into the harsh wilderness, Abraham received a visit from the Philistine king Abimelech. It's pretty obvious God favors you, he said flatteringly. Now I want you to swear on the same God that you won't try to fuck me over or trick me or anymore, and you'll be loyal to this country and its people. Deal? All right, I promise, said Abraham. There's some petty business about a well dispute and the subsequent dedication ceremony to name said well that I've just gone ahead and edited out. And so, with contract negotiations and all parties satisfied, they parted ways. One day, God decided to test just how faithful and obedient Abraham was. Abraham, he thundered. Yes, Lord, here I am. What can I do for you? I want you to take your only son, that he gives a shit about, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. There I want you to construct an altar and sacrifice him to me on one of the mountains I will point out to you. No questions asked. Abraham said nothing, and the next morning he awoke early to prepare for the trip. Taking two slaves with him as well as the clueless offspring, they chopped wood for the altar and took off for the long journey. By the third day of travel, they could see the mountain in the distance, and Abraham instantly knew which one God wanted him to murder his son on. Stay here with the donkey, he told the slaves, not wanting them to witness what would transpire. The boy and I will travel the rest of the way. We'll go make the sacrifice there and be right back. As Abraham stacked the firewood neatly to form an altar, his son Isaac asked him, Dad, we have the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? God will provide the lamb's son, he replied creepily. With the construction of the altar complete and his constitution up, Abraham tied a confused Isaac, set him on the altar, and rose the knife in the air, ready to strike. At the last moment, as the resolve to murder his son had finally set in, a booming voice suddenly interrupted him. Abraham! The angel suddenly shouted. Yes, Abraham answered. I'm kind of in the middle of something. You can put the knife down he said. 
I can see that you're scared of God enough to do whatever the hell he wants you to. You were ready to slaughter your own flesh and blood for the voices in your head, and this greatly pleases the Lord. Looking around, Abraham noticed a young ram with its horns trapped in a thorn of a bush, and so he grabbed and slaughtered it with gratitude. When it was finished burning up, the angels returned to him. I'm going to bless the shit out of you, Abraham. You're going to have millions of descendants, more than all the stars in the sky or the grains of sand in the seashore. They will destroy and enslave their enemies, all because you were obedient when I called on you. And with that, Abraham and their son and the two slaves headed back home to rest. An awkward silence hung in the air. This is my show now, though. You ready to ride this pony? You ever? You've been on the show twice, actually, in your entire history. You know that? Do you remember the first one? I think I was. I blacked out. I repressed mm -hmm. both shows. Remind me what we're doing again. <laughs> Who are you? Who are we? All right. First where, show. Uh, first, where are my pants? First show. And look second, at you, right? Look at you. T tell me a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? Uh, is this the, welcome to the Tom Show. Welcome to the Tom Show. Actually, it'd be interesting to sort of like run as the Tom Show. Welcome to the Tom Show. Wah, wah, wah. What would the Tom Show be like? You know, if Tom was Tom the Entertainer, mm -hmm, say, mm -hmm. say that the, the roles were reversed, right? Rather than oh you having sent me the email, <laughs> I sent you the email. And you have like that weird alternate sort of like thing. I would where, still be me. I would you know, be unaffected. I would be cool yeah. as Fonzie. You're not, uh, you're not... You're do, not... Do your fans know about the email? Is that, like, part of the Jacob Actually, lore? there is. I, it's I, part I, of the lore. It is part of the lore. Literally part of the lore. Well, I'll tell you what. Some it wouldn't be part that. of my lore. Why not? Roll off my back like Fonzie. Roll out your back like Fonzie. Yep. Yeah? My leather jacket. No is problem. That your leather jacket? Mm-hmm. I'll just be another Tuesday Such in my Such a world. little emotional bitch. You don't even know it. <laughs> be another Tuesday. <laughs> All right. You ready to do the show? Yeah. We have not started the show, but this is actually I put the stuff like this at the end. <laughs> Tell me. I know that sounds weird, but right. I put all the I put all the fucking uh, kind of beginning gold at the end <clears throat> after the outro music because everybody always thinks oh it's done. But I'm like, if you keep listening because you're smart, you realize I put some gold shit or at the end. You're trying to fall asleep, <laughs> or you're not really listening, and then you realize that there's some other so extra shit I used to do. You're not listening, or you're trying yeah. to fall asleep. Or you're also so desperate for content, because for most of desperate. these people, they have not listened to anything that I've made in months. Months. In months. For a long time. They're for a long parched. Time. They're parched, parched. for okay. content. Well, hopefully. So, yeah. let's get this started. Tell right, me a little bit about it. Shut up. All right. Are you ready to go? <laughs> We're going to in, in three, two, one. <clears throat> Here we go. Pop and lock. Here we go.